Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Amen. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, will you turn with me to Psalm 127? Psalm 127. We've got a lot of work to do. We're going to dig in here in just a moment. While you're turning to Psalm 127, let me again say we're glad that you're here. Hope you're growing in your faith. If you've put your faith in Jesus, we want to be a place that helps you grow and mature in your faith. We're all on the journey together, so please let us know how we can help. Again, if this is your first time with us, uh, we'd love to get you connected here at Bible Center. I'd love to meet you. I'll be out in the lobby after the service. I'd love to meet you and know how we can uh, help grow together in the future in Jesus. This morning, I want to tell you the story of the time I almost broke my back on Father's Day. The time I almost broke my back on Father's Day. I was in Clay County, 2012. My parents, particularly my dad, is from, his family's from Clay County. So I was at my grandpa's farm, and we were trying to, uh, we were having fun, riding foilers, doing all the things that you do at a farm on Father's Day. My grandpa was still alive, and so we were having some fun with him. But my girls wanted to dam up the creek so they could swim. Some of you who are from West Virginia, you're familiar with what a swimming hole is. Who knows what a swimming hole is? All right, most of us know what that is. If you don't have a swimming pool nearby, you just make one by damming up the creek. And so we started shoveling and we started putting rocks in place and you know, wanting to be the hero dad for my daughters. I was trying to put the big rocks right there in the creek and evidently I wasn't working fast enough And those projects, you quickly learn that you're not in charge. Your kids are in charge. You're just grunt labor. That's the only reason that you're there. And so I uh, started picking bigger rocks and bigger rocks to put them in the creek. And I think it was our youngest, Riley, you know, pointed out this big rock that would surely cause the water from leaking out of the dam. And I walk over to the rock and I don't think I used proper form, but I I was going to pick up that rock and show my girls. I was going to show my wife you know, what kind of biceps and shoulders their dad and their, her husband had. And so I've been down and again, I was 32 at the time. This is 2012. I, I pick up that rock and I did lift it off of the ground, but I think I, I did more like this and not like this. And as I picked it up, all of a sudden I heard something and felt something pop in my back. Some of you've been there and know exactly what that feeling is all about. And it doesn't matter how tough you are, when you feel that back pop, you just go down to the ground. And so I started on my knees. Next thing I know, I'm laying by the creek, making an absolute fool of myself, probably drooling or something like that. I was in a lot of pain. I crawled from the creek to the farmhouse with my wife and my two little girls, nine and six at the time. And I crawled into the house and there was a bed and eventually got up on the bed and it hurt so badly to lay out flat. My grandpa came in to see me, old World War II vet, just a, a great guy. And, and, you know, he just kind of had a, he had a gift for stating the obvious. I was like, Grandpa, what do you think? He's like, well, I think you lift a rock that was too heavy for you to lift. That's what I think. And he was right. Eventually, my back got better. It took several weeks, and thankfully, it hasn't happened since. But, you know, that's kind of a, a good parable or a metaphor for the burdens of leadership, particularly the leadership of fatherhood. Sometimes when we think about God calling us to be dads or moms or leaders of any kind in life, it can almost feel like the burden is too heavy to bear. Like it's impossible. There's no way that we're going to be able to do this. 
So today on Father's Day, I particularly wanna speak to you dads about the responsibility, maybe at times it can feel like a burden, the responsibility of fatherhood. And what I wanna do from God's word is give you four principles that God gives on how to be a father that become a stronger dad who builds a stronger home. Now, right at the beginning, I know there's several thoughts that go through some of our minds. One thought is this, maybe you're thinking, there's no way I can do this. You're already feeling anxious. He's gonna give us like four or five things to do. There's no way I can do it. I'm gonna leave feeling more guilty and beat down than when I come in because everybody's gonna know I'm not a perfect father. Well, I wanna put your mind at ease at the beginning and let you know I'm not a perfect father either. There is no perfect father in this room except our heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can put your mind at ease knowing that principles aren't intended to beat you down or weigh you down. They're intended to give you the tools you need to build you back up. Maybe you're thinking you might as well just quit. Hey, maybe I, it's just too hard. I don't even wanna try. My kids are gonna do what my kids are gonna do. Why is it worth the effort? Well, I wanna encourage you that it is worth the effort. I believe today God could give you one principle, one truth, that could change the trajectory of your family. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be preaching this message. And as Pastor John said a moment ago, we wanna see generation after generation continue to serve the Lord. So I'm praying that one thing I say today helps you as a father. Maybe you're here and you're not a dad. Maybe you're a mom. Well, the principles can apply to you as well. So even though I'm not gonna talk much to you, I hope that you'll work to apply the principles to your life. Maybe you're a kid, maybe you're a student, and you're like, well, how does this apply to me? You know, for many of you, you're gonna be dads in less than 10 years. I mean, less than a decade, some of you could be fathers. That not only scares you to death, but it scares your parents to death. But that could happen. Right now, maybe it's hard as a student or a kid to really see past making fun of your dad. I know your dad wears funny socks. I know that. I know he listens to funny music. I guarantee it that he does. I know your dad wears funny pants and he tries to look like Don Johnson when he preaches on Sunday morning. I get that, right? I totally get that. But if you could see past all of that and try to love your father and pray for him, he needs the prayer and the grace of Christ. You grandparents, we need you in this church. These principles apply to you as you mentor younger moms and dads, as you mentor the generation yet to come. So we're gonna go through Psalm 127. It was written by Solomon. There's just five verses, and we're gonna give you four principles from Psalm 127 that'll help you build a stronger dad, be a stronger dad, and build, therefore, a stronger home. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible, Psalm 127 and verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, eating or toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
What are the four principles, the four exercises? Well, number one, let me encourage you to work hard at your job. Work hard at your job. Solomon starts in verse one and he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. He uses two images of vocation, that of builders and that of watchmen. Really it's all vocation could be summarized in these two categories. You're either creating something, you're building something, or you're preserving something. Most of us work in one of those two areas. We're starting something or we're preserving something. Solomon just assumes that his hearers know that work is good, which is why he uses the images of labor, hard labor. Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Proverbs says something similar. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. So in Psalm 127 in verse one, he assumes that we know that hard work is a good thing. And the point that he's trying to make really in all five verses is that we work hard and we leave the results to God. We put the Lord first, we work hard, and we leave the results to the Lord. But it's our responsibility to work hard. Why should we work hard? Well, because God is your boss. God is your boss. Yes, we build, but in this text, God is the master builder. Yes, we watch, but God is the master watchman. In Colossians 3, Paul picks up on this thought and he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Think about this in the context of your job. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I, I'm curious if there's favoritism where you work. Maybe you know of somebody who gets ahead, but they don't work nearly as hard as you work. Or they only work hard when the boss is around. Maybe you know somebody like that. I remember working at Jeff's Appliance. This has been over two decades ago. And I can still remember there was this one guy who, who liked to take a nap in the warehouse. But somehow he had a knack for taking a nap. And he doesn't work there. been years ago. Work, <laughs> I'm going to get him in trouble. Um, but he had, a, he had a knack for taking a nap until the boss came around. And he would act like he worked so, so hard. God says he sees all of that. And that's one of the lessons in context of Psalm 127 he wants us to pass along to our children. If you're a believer in Jesus, then your books should be kept correctly. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, our ditches should be dug straight. Our pipe fittings shouldn't leak. Our cabinet corners should be mounted flush. Our surgical incisions should be true. Our typing must be sharp. The food we serve must be the best in the business, not because we have a human boss or a licensing board, but because God is our master. One of the greatest ways that we can teach our children or show our children the work ethic they should have is to remind them of this. Work matters because God matters. 
Work matters because God says it matters. My daughter goes to George Washington High School and she says there's a, a rumor around George Washington High School about Chick-fil-A. I've shared this with Tom before. There's this rumor. One day she came home and said that, that she's heard this horrible rumor that people who actually, the kids from GW who go to work at Chick-fil-A, at Chick-fil-A, they actually, think of this, this is horrible, they actually make them work. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And of course she was joking and I'm joking with you, but that's a good thing. And that's one of the ways we can pass on the faith to our children. Number two, rest often and take advantage of your time off. Rest often and take advantage of your time off. Yes, God wants us to work hard, but he also wants us to rest. God not only invented work, but God also invented rest. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, God rests. When I was a kid, I thought, why did it say God rests? He must've been tired. The world is pretty big. It took a lot of effort for God to make the world, so he needed to rest. And then I've learned from Exodus chapter 20 in your notes that that's not the case at all. God didn't rest because he was tired, God rested. He ceased from his labor to show us what it looks like to rest. Have you ever gone really hard at work for an extended period of time and find yourself not as sharp as you maybe you were when you first started working or you came off a of vacation? I have friends who will do that for me. Occasionally they'll remind me or they'll ask me, hey, are you getting the rest you need? Because they notice I'm not as sharp as maybe I need to be. You see, God's created our bodies. He's created our minds. He's created our spirits to need rest. It's one of the ways he reminds us that he is God and we are not. Think of these verses in Ecclesiastes. God actually tells you to rest and enjoy good things. Ecclesiastes 2.24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. In chapter five, Solomon, the same author, writes this. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. However, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Jesus lived this verse. Jesus, you find him at the end of a hard day having a meal with his friends. You find Jesus eating and drinking and celebrating life, not in a sinful way, but in a way that just enjoyed the blessings of God because Jesus knew how to rest. Jesus seemed to love the ocean, love the sea. Jesus loved the mountains. He loved the outdoors. And I believe that's a good example for us to enjoy the rest that God has given to us. Verse two in this text, back to our text, Solomon says this, think of this. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. Now in this verse, 
what is it that he's warning us against? What is the bad thing in verse two? Well, at first glance, it may seem like rising up early is a bad thing. Is it a sin? Let me just ask you, is it a sin to get up early? Is that a sin? Well, of course it's not a sin. The Bible tells us Jesus got up early quite often. All right, is it a sin to stay up late? Well, if so, Jesus sinned because Jesus notoriously stayed up late. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was stayed up late seemingly all night praying in the garden until he was arrested. So is it a sin to stay up late? Well, no. When you look closely into the eyes, these families, they look great. They really did. Y'all look great. But you look closely into the eyes of some of these moms and dads. They've been up late lately, right? They've been up early. You got the bloodshot eye. Yeah. Sometimes life, it's necessary. So the sin or the the thing we're to avoid isn't just rising up early or staying up late, but it's in that next word. It's the word toiling. If you're taking notes, the Hebrew word for toiling has the idea of anxious work, anxious work. And what he is saying is sinful, it's harmful, it will hurt us, is if all of our work is done out of anxiety or fear, or like we're always behind the eight ball and we're just clawing through life to get ahead. God says that's vanity, it's worthless. It doesn't do us any good and it doesn't do the world any good. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Why does God invite us to rest? Well, one reason is this in your notes, because God never takes a vacation and he wants you to enjoy his good gifts. God never takes a vacation and he wants you to enjoy his good gifts. You can rest because God never does. You can take a vacation because God never does. That image of the watchman in verse one, Solomon is saying, you know what? It's okay for you to sleep sometimes because God is watching out 24 hours. It's okay for you to take a break because God never takes a break. One of the other reasons we can do this is in verse two. And I didn't see this until yesterday. My sermon was done, was ready to go. I got the outline in, I'm ready. I'm mulling over some things for the PowerPoint yesterday. Let's look at verse two. I want you to see verse two. There's another reason that we can rest. And I think this is gonna strike home, strike a chord with many of you, especially some of you dads. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I didn't know this until yesterday, but that word for love is one of the strongest words for love in the entire Old Testament. It's a relational, covenantal word. It means sometimes it's translated beloved. And what God is saying here is this, I love you even when you rest. I love you even when you're not in first place. I love you even if you've lost your job. I love you even if you're nowhere close to your retirement goals that you thought you were gonna be at this age. I love you even if you couldn't afford to send your kids to the most expensive college. I love you even if you couldn't buy your wife the house that she's always wanted. I love you if you're only making half of what you thought you were gonna make at this phase of your life. I love you, you are mine, I bought you, you are chosen, you are my child. 
I believe there's some dads here today and you need to hear the love of God for your life. You're going, you're going strong, but you've forgotten how much God really loves you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. On this Father's Day, receive the gift, the free grace gift of salvation. But Christ, Christ purchased it on the cross and he rose again to give you new life. Number three, what else can we do as believers to build stronger dads and stronger homes? Well, number three, make time to enjoy your children. Make time to enjoy your children. Look with me at verse three. Solomon says, children are a heritage from the Lord and an offspring, a reward for him. Now this is easier said than done, but I believe it's from God's word. So we have to talk about the blessing of children. You know, sometimes when we think about kids, our own kids, it can be easy to see them as a distraction or maybe it's just, there's a lot of work they're keeping us from our goals, professional goals, or our fun goals, whatever that is. Many fathers face those temptations. This past week, I, I'm talking to Katie, our oldest, and I was asking her about something that I'd like her to do. And when I got done, she asked me, she's like, well, dad, can I ask you about something, to see if you could do something a little different at home? I was like, well, Katie, what is it? And she said, dad, why is it that a lot of times in the morning when I first see you, you're on your computer or you're on your phone, and you don't really look at me, you don't really talk to me, you just kind of stay like buried into your work. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. She's like, yeah, you'll, sometimes you'll grunt, you know, just kind of grunt like, hey, yeah, you know, hey, morning. But you're just kind of focused. She's like, I'd just love for you to, you know, say hi to me. I'd love for you just to talk to me for a minute. And that was awesome to hear. And here I am preparing a sermon to tell you how to make time for your children. But we're all in this boat and we're all growing and we're all learning together. Let's take time to eat with our kids, several times a week at least. Let's ask them about their day. Let's try to make their games and recitals. Let's buy them gifts. Let's write them notes. Let's hug them. Spend time doing what they love to do. If you can get by with less and spend more time with your kids, get by with less because one day they will be gone. Why do we make time to enjoy our children? Well, the why is right here in this text, because they are God's gift to you. They are God's gift to you. It says in verse three, children are a heritage, an inheritance from the Lord, and an offspring, a reward from him. If you're here today and you don't have children, it doesn't mean God doesn't loves you any less. There's some of you've wanted children, Maybe you're married and can't have children. Maybe, maybe you're single and you just would love that life. And so preaching on Father's Day and seeing all these babies, it's done something in your heart. I wanna assure you today that the love of God, as the prophet Isaiah told the people of God, God loves you whether you have many children or no children. I wanna encourage you in this way. You see it in the Old Testament, people who didn't have children, God would encourage them to still be actively involved in the raising of children in the community of faith. You can do that through volunteering for kids ministry, volunteering for Awana on Wednesday night, rocking babies, blessing and encouraging parents. 
So there's no blessing in the sense that God loves you more if you have 10 kids as opposed to somebody who doesn't have any. But the idea here is this, if you have children, they're God's gift to you. You had a very small role, I'm talking to the dads, very small role in bringing them into this world. Yes, you had a role, but it was nothing compared to their mother's role, and it was definitely nothing compared to God's role. And so God encourages us in this Psalm written to men. He says, see your children as an inheritance. Somebody else, God himself made a choice and gave them to you just the way he wanted them to be. Number four, and lastly, we're talking about exercises we can do to, to grow stronger as dads, to grow stronger homes. Number four, train your children to thrive in every area of life. Train your children to thrive in every area of life. Verses four and five. Solomon writes, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born with one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So here in verse four, Solomon gives two arenas. He gives the arena of a battlefield and the arena of a courtroom. And these are just images. He's trying to resonate with them. He, if, if Solomon were writing this today, Solomon might, might write about where you work and use an illustration that you would understand. But these people knew war and they knew litigation, constant in a state of war, constantly in a state of litigation at the gates. And so it's not like he's saying that all of our children have to grow up and be ninja lawyers. If your child grows up and becomes a ninja lawyer, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. But he's making the point that here's this, just as a warrior knows how to fight in every circumstance, we're to prepare our children to fight in every circumstance, to survive. Just as a good lawyer, some of you know how to, to win an argument in court, we're to prepare our children to navigate the arguments and the contentions and the struggles of life. Maybe you thought your job was just to provide food and shelter. I've thought that in the past. Well, I provide food and shelter for my kids. What more is there? But you know, if you think about it, possums provide food and shelter for their children, right? They really do. So I think we could all agree that our calling is to at least be one notch better than the possums. So in addition to food and shelter, let me suggest some areas that maybe you wanna write these down and we can post these to Facebook later. These are some areas where you could consider how am I preparing my children to thrive, not survive, but thrive in all the areas of life. Let's make sure our children thrive spiritually, not only through the church, but also at home. What are you doing to read the Bible with your kids? For us growing up, we found that dinner time worked best. When our kids were little, we could strap them in. You know those seats you set? It's like, you can't go anywhere. You're strapping them in, put some green beans in their mouth. When, before I had kids, I had these big plans of how I was gonna like, you know, read the great doctrines of the faith to my children and they were gonna sit at my feet and hang on every word. And after I had kids, it's like, you know, here, here's green beans, shove them in your mouth while daddy tries to read John 3:16. There's multiple ways to show our children Bible storybooks, making sure our kids are in church, enrolling our children in Awana, spiritually helping our children in word and deed. Intellectually or academically, people will sometimes ask me, what is the best way to educate your children? 
Of course, they mean homeschool, Christian school, or public school. What's the best way? What do you recommend? My answer is always this. I recommend parents. I recommend parents. You, it's, your, it's my responsibility, your responsibility to educate our children. How we do that is, is determined by the child. You know your children better than anybody. Physically, teaching our kids to take care of themselves physically. Socially, it's good for us to let our kids struggle sometimes. Or on the ball field, it's okay. Dads, I love you, but it's okay if your son doesn't start. And you go on to the coach and throw in sand in his face to make your son start, that doesn't necessarily help him in life. It may be that your son stinks at baseball, right? And that's okay. But as we help them adapt socially, we help them grow emotionally, we help them grow and develop financially. Why do we do these things? It's right here in the passage. The reason is this, why? Because one day you will be gone. One day you will be gone. Let's look at verse four and five again and notice this. In verse four, he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full with them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. An arrow was never intended to remain in the quiver. An arrow is always made to be shot. So as Solomon's writing to his Jewish audience, they would have understood, yes, it's, it's good when our kids are little to have as many children as God will let us have. Children are a gift. If you can have 20 children, have 20 children, right? Do it, just, just do it. But, but he says, there's coming a day when we're going to send our kids out. When we send our kids out, it means we're no longer gonna be as closely involved in their lives. I love this passage where he says, they're gonna have opponents. It doesn't say he's gonna help the children with, are gonna help with your opponents. It's their opponents. Your children are gonna have enemies. Your children are gonna have conflicts. And there's coming a day you won't be there to fix it. And so what he's writing to his audience is this, prepare your children to thrive in every area of life because one day you will be gone. And yes, we know that for the Christian, gone doesn't mean forever because we're going to rise again. But if you've lost a spouse, you know that gone means gone. If you've lost a father, you know that, yes, you look forward to heaven and yes, you look forward to the resurrection, but you'd love to have them here, but they're not here. And so God invites us to prepare our children because one day they'll be gone. This past week, unfortunately, we laid to rest a 47-year-old mom. Her name is Gina Saunders. Many of you knew her. She was a longtime member at Bible Center. Gina, her husband, Freddie, we talked, of course, all week. We had our funeral on Friday and Freddie and I talked yesterday and he gave me permission to share this. We were talking about her life and, and how she models Psalm 127. And Freddie said, you talk about her as much as you wanna talk about her. But when I think about Gina, she, even though this is Father's Day and she was a mom, mother of six, she had a baby go on to heaven years ago, Heidi, where her five children remain. Her youngest is 13. And we laid her to rest at a cemetery just outside of Elkview on Friday. But think about these four principles in light of Gina. Gina worked hard at her job. She was a secretary for Bible Center School. She passed on that work ethic to her children. 
too. She, it was obvious she, know how, she knew how to take time off and have fun. Her favorite thing to do was just drinking coffee after a full day's work on her front porch, playing in the outdoors with her kids, going hiking with her husband, campfires and s'mores and snow skiing. She loved to play dominoes. Her husband, Freddie, said the first time he met her, she said, do you wanna play dominoes? And he thought she meant the kind that you knock down. You know, you push and they, you knock down. He's like, yeah, I love dominoes. She's like, no, the math kind of dominoes. She loved to play dominoes. She knew how to enjoy and make time for her children. The th I think that probably over the course of the week, the thing that moved me the most was reading the words of her 13-year-old daughter. And she got permission to share this. She wrote this. My mom was always there for me. She calmed me down when I was scared or nervous, and she always had a heartwarming smile. She was generous to people and very kind-hearted. My favorite memories of her were shopping, lunch dates, drinking coffee with her on the front porch, or just talking about life and boys. The last thing I said to my mom was, I love you. I already miss my mom dearly, and I know she'll always be with me in my heart, but I'm gonna miss her in the mornings when she used to say, doodlebug, get out of bed. I know she'll always be in my heart and that's enough because I look forward to seeing her again one day. Gina prepared her children to thrive in every area of life. And though they're young and though those seeds haven't sprouted yet, I wanna encourage you to think about your own life. As I stood beside that casket this week, it occurred to me, I have no promise of tomorrow and neither do you. Whether you be a mom, a dad, somebody who's just investing in the children of this church, whether you be a grandparent, we have no promise of tomorrow. So let me encourage you to do this. Work hard like God is your boss. Pass along that ethic, these four principles. Number two, rest often and take advantage of your time off. Don't leave time off on the table at the end of the year. Take it all. Somebody told me once, they said, spend time with the people who are actually gonna cry at your funeral. So a good memory, to have, a good thing to think of. Number three, make time to enjoy your children. I wanna do more of that. And number four, train your children to thrive in every area of life. That's how we build stronger dads and stronger homes. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.